Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. Here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running the hardcover adventure Scarlet Citadel by Kobold Press. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to help support the work that I do, but also get access to all kinds of great exclusive products like the City of Arches sourcebook, a bunch of exclusive adventures, access to our dedicated Discord channel, access to the monthly Q&A, and a whole bunch of other stuff you can become a patron of sly flourish and do all of that the link to become a patron is in the show notes below i had a better game last week than i've had with scarlet citadel over the past couple of sessions i lamented a bit last week about how the style of scarlet citadel wasn't matching my style as a dm that it is this very hardcore go down in the dungeon get punched in the face a lot everything's kind of you know it's it's a lot of downward beats it's it's meant to be that sort of old school dungeon but there's a lot of downward beats and i had ended the session with them getting their asses handed to them by a bunch of shadows and a specter and i was trying to decide like how do i get them out of this because part of it is like i put them in there and i sort of made it a little too hard accidentally and then i'm like how do i get them out of this but not have it be deus ex machina and i was like what if i made it even worse that there's like a wraith thing and I, and I did that and that worked out really well. So they were in this like undead crypt area. They saw this wraith. They made a tactical retreat while the wraith came there. One person stood up against the wraith who probably would have killed them in a single hit. And but they the wraith missed them twice. So luckily they managed to get missed and then they 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 dove out and the wraith is still in there. So so they know now about this like high level section of level one that's very dangerous. And they they're like, we we know that there's a portal to the to the dust lands. We know that there's an open portal. We know we need to fix it, but we also know we don't have what we need to do now. So now what do we do? So they 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 took a short rest, I think. I don't think they took a they did not leave and take a long rest. They've been trying to figure out like when do we when and where do we take rests which i think is something that we're going to figure out like i think i'm going to let them kind of figure that out and they but they have explored the rest of of level one and then and then made their way down to level two let's take a look at the adventure itself because one of the tricks of this whole dungeon is you know finding out how to navigate it and i don't want to make them i don't want to I don't want to railroad that too much. I don't want to presuppose how they're going to navigate the dungeon. I want to let them kind of decide how they're going to navigate it. Cause that's the fun of these sort of asymmetric dungeons where you have like the, uh, the oubliette where you can go down to level four straight from level one through the oubliette. I want to have it where they can kind of pick, but they have to figure out like where to rest. And one thing is like, I, I did mention that like the barrier to the undead section, which is that Southern, that Southern section of this map is the undead area. I did mention that like the whatever the barrier is that's keeping the undead that is weakening. So I think more and more undead are going to start to leak out into level one. So as they're trying to use level one to navigate, they're going to run into like shadows and specters and skeletons and stuff like that because they're they're starting to get out of the crypts. The but I don't want to kind of suppose where they're going to take long, you know, shorter, long rests. We're going to kind of see how it goes. I'm not doing any sort of like I have, they have to run X number of encounters before a rest. I really don't, I don't like that approach at all. And instead, I think that they are going to, they're going to have to figure that out. One neat thing that the adventure has is there are sort of connector points so that once you get to a certain level, you can find another exit that lets you directly connect to like level three. I think it's level, I think level three in particular has a way there's like tunnels that you can find on the way out that that let you sort of come into the tunnels without having to go level one you know level one down so 
Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to figure that out. Let's see. I got too many windows open here. And what else? So they went down the stairs. So they, if we're following this map, I know it's sideways. Sorry. They went back out to 107. They saw the note from the Karun priestess lady who said, looks like you survived. You might be useful to me yet. And they're like, oh, I hate her. And then they wandered around and they went into 108. They went into 109. They went into 111 and they saw the rat thing. They went into 110 and they fought the mud methods. And then they went down the stairwell on 112 to level two. And they began their journey in level two. Level two is what we're going to do most of our prep for today. Because I expect they're going to stay on level two. I don't think there's a lot of connections to level three. Level two is broken up into two sections. There's an alchemical section, which is all like 201 to 208, I think is all the alchemical section. And that Daneska, I think, is her. Daneska Maskalov, the master of oozes, operates in that right-hand side of the map, which is all sorts of oozy stuff and engines. And she is one of, like, the four... There are sort of four big people the characters are hunting down to stop because they're twisting the nature... They're twisting the, 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 the nature of this place and causing problems across... That could escalate across the world. I don't think Daneska's really doing that much, but I think that engine in 206 probably is. So I think that that's, that's probably a good secret for today for them to learn. So I mentioned last time when I was preparing this, yeah, it's the Scarlet Meth Lab. Yeah, that's about right. It's actually a meth lab, but it makes oozes. I mentioned that one of the things I was going to do is move Dineska to whatever chamber they didn't explore. So if they went south, they would find the engine, but she wouldn't be there. And instead she'd be, she's either in 206 or 202, wherever they aren't going. And that way they'll explore more of this level before they run into her. I didn't want to have another situation where they fight a, you know, a, a big boss right in the beginning. So, and, but they, they did it right. So they must have spent 45 minutes figuring out how to get over this floor trap in 201, which is hysterical. And, you know, I'm sure it can be a little boring. There's times like where the player's like, oh God, are we really going to talk this? And when you have five people there and three of them are talking about it, you want to have, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of effort for them to, you know, some people are going to be bored while other people are really interested, but they ended up like getting a big plank. I think they took the waterboard from level one and they placed it down here so that they could get over that top. And I was like, that's good enough. It's not that, not that devastating a trap. I think someone else mentioned, I think it was Richard Green, I was talking to him, and he mentioned that they must have stepped on that trap like 12 times. <laughs> like they kept running in and out of the room and forgetting about it and then stepping out and getting caught. Oh, God, acid again. I think that's that's pretty funny. Like that 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 was amusing, but that, that didn't happen. So then they went into room 202. And actually, are you ready? We got a secret thing here. There, look at that. This is the area that they're in now. I have decided today that I am going to use... Albert Rodeo 2.0, the beta of Albert Rodeo 2.0 for my game today. And this is the whole map inside Albert Rodeo. You can you can see like here's the here's the section that they can actually see in the map. And then here's the rest of the map. And the neat thing for the maps for Scarlet Citadel is they combine the two maps together. So this is one big map, one big map that's going on. And they went inside. They were kind of exploring around. I think it was, I think Dorn went up to the chest over here and was examining the chest, which was full of Dineska's under things. And the Mephits are like, hey, don't go in there. That's a private place. And then something else. Oh, they were, they were talking about all of the different wheels and widgets and gadgets that were exploding. And then boom, it, it blew up. And this huge gelatinous cube yellow ooze hybrid burst out. I can actually, I, I put the 2-2 two, two there, but that, that, that text is not valid. Bang. And that was where we ended the session, was them fighting, was them fighting the, the ooze. 
Glendrill says that the ooze fight is deadly. Yeah, let me take a look at the ooze hybrid. Um, let's 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 look at that. Anyway, that's what the layout looks like. Let's actually look at the stat block for the ooze to see how deadly this is. I think it's at the end of the end of the book. Gelatinous cube ochre jelly hybrid, 108 hit points, CR three. That's pretty low. They're they're third level, I think. So a single CR3 at third level is probably not too bad. Death burst. When the hybrid dies, it liquefies into thick, sticky puddle. Every creature in the hybrid space within 10 feet must make a DC 10 or take four acid damage. That's not so bad, but they're stuck there. A creature that starts its turn in the hybrid space takes four acid damage. The speed is reduced to zero until the start of its next turn. Successful DC 12 saving throw halves the damage and prevents the speed reduction. A prone creature has disadvantage. on the And the damage is doubled to 18. That's not doubled. Look at this. It takes four. 1d8 and is doubled to 18 18 is not double of four that's funny the first time a creature enters the hybrid space and 18 is a ton of damage who's blob other creatures can enter the hybrid space but for the first time when a creature does so affected by hybrids mire creature within five feet of the hybrid can pull an action spider climb it can climb surfaces it makes two pseudopod attacks each one is plus four to hit nine bludgeoning plus four acid and the creature must make a succe- successful dc 12 saving throw be knocked prone i guess that way you can go over it ooze eruption a gas bubble forms inside the hybrid and bursts splashing ooze all around every creature in the hybrid space or within 15 feet take 18 acid damage or half damage is a, a successful dc 13 saving throw creatures that fail to save are also knocked prone whoa a lot of prone Split and rejoin. When a hybrid is subjected to lightning or slashing damage, its multi-tech increases by one pseudopod attack from two to three, from three to four, and the ooze eruption recharges automatically. So it doesn't actually do the full split. That's pretty, that's a pretty interesting monster. It's got a lot, it's got a lot going on. Tactically, I suppose I will just have it do pseudopod attacks for the first round and then do the ooze eruption on the second attack. I think that that will kind of build, build up the stakes. A lot of hit points, low, low AC, a lot of hit points, but 108, they can't do multi-attack yet, but 108, that's probably a couple rounds of combat where there people are beating on it. Oh, it's immune to slashing. Oh, boy. That is, that's going to suck. Oh, I don't know what they're going to do about that. I mean, I guess it's interesting, but boy, we're going to have to do some creative work with that. That's, that's an important thing. 60-foot blind sight, so you can't hide from it. Interesting. So that, so they're going to fight that. So that's, that's our... When we think about our adventure today, let's get our notes beginning here. Today is the 20th. And we'll jump to our strong start and we'll go about the characters, but fighting the jelly cube hybrid. Nice, easy, strong start. So you start with a battle against an interesting foe, not a bad way to go. That monster does look tough, but it's really one monster against five characters. We got five people today. And what is this all? That guy's got a lot of trained skills. So that's a lot of, it's a lot of characters to hit one monster. And typically, even if that monster is tough, almost always a single monster is so limited compared to a group of characters, you know, it's going to have to do a lot more. So I, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But I, you know, that 108 hit points, that's more what we call a guideline than an actual rule. How many hit points could it have? Seven times, 7d20. Seven times 20. That's a weird, 140 plus 35. So it could have up to 175 hit points if we if we turn that hit point dial up to the maximum given its current hit dice. This this hybrid could in fact have 175 hit points instead of 108. We'll we'll see how things we'll see how things turn out when we when we when we go. Let's start off by taking a look at the characters. So who do we have? We have Bart played by Jay who is a gear forged. He was gone last time. He's done a lot of like C3PO sort of stuff. 
He is a barred diplomat, kind of a high, high hoi polloi sort of dude. I don't know if there's more to his. A barred clockwork construct named Sir Bartholomew, now known as Bart. Soljim is from a former general and diplomat, recon- a renaissance man, love of wine, culture, music, and history. Brought up with the, the Zobek aristocracy. Stepped down after his father's death to manage the estate. Zobek's kind of a nasty place, too. I don't know if he knows that. So, oops, interesting stuff. So that's Bart. And Bart is coming back. Doran Greycastle is a shade, shade fighter. He was a former adventurer, but from another world who found his spirit kind of pulled across space and time and thrown into this body of someone else. And Dorn and, and, and is constantly trying to make sure that Dorn is taking care of the body that he is in because it is his Mez's responsibility to make sure that Dorn, that Dorn's body, that the original body he's in is laid to rest formally. So he's, he's, he's always like, be careful with what you're doing there. We have Garble. Garble is played by Pat. Garble is a mushroom folk rogue far traveler who is looking for a new home for his people and does fun rogue stuff as a mushroom rogue, like hangs from the ceiling you know, hangs from the ceiling and hides and then stabs. Mez, Rumseleth, is a frost elf fighter parfumier, parfum, who helps inter the dead. So two of the themes for this campaign are the the, the passage of death, right? Death, the, 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 the clean passage of death is one of the components of this. The other theme is chaos and time and chaos and randomness are the kind of the two themes that exist in this in this campaign. And Mez, so Mez is trying to, you know, Mez has gotten kind of involved mostly to make sure that Dorn Greycastle's body is not too badly damaged that when, when they can, when Dorn can be interred, uh, will be interred well. Uh, System Larky Jones, also kind of an aristocrat, a noble, a tiefling, uh, warlock and cleric who follows the will of the weird weaver, which means kind of following what happens randomly while they go back through this. And the weird weaver is an entity of not not chaos like in a bad way but an, an entity of sort of randomness this weird weaver is this this element of randomness and it's been captured down in the depths of scarlet citadel and the characters this entity sort of reaching out to them that like this chaos has to stop there could be a lot more like interesting things to do with the idea that what if randomness got captured and maybe we'll explore that more, but I'm not sure. I don't know. That sounds really hard to do. And so that's Malarkey Jones. And Skrink Skibber is played by Juliet. Juliet is still out of town. So Skrink is not going to be joining us for today's for today's session. So those are the characters. Those are the five characters. Bart, Doran, Garble, Mez, and Malarkey are the five characters that we have in today's in today's game. Things begin with the the broken the the broken vats and the fight against and the fight against the jelly cube hybrid. One thing to look at is what are the environmental effect going on in that room? That's something we should we should take note we should take note of. So, on 202, we have the the metal vats when the characters arrive uh, about to burst from the tank. I'm mostly interested in what are what that oozy area. Before the tanks burst, make sure you know where everybody is. When the vats split open, the hybrid erupts from them. Ooze immediately flows out across the floor in thick waves. Place the overlay. If this shows the size of the gelatinous cube, it shows the size of the gelatinous cube ochre jelly hybrid, which is big enough to nearly fill. Is that thing that big? So there isn't a... Every character in the space that's also occupied by the escaping hybrid must make a successful DC 13 dexterity saving throw be knocked prone. The ooze methods, but they're, they're just laughing. So it sounds like I made, a, I made a stat block, but maybe the ooze... Is the ooze hybrid really huge? gargantuan so it is filling the whole room so i i have this little map here let's go to go to the map but boy it's actually more in here and that whole area in the center 
is where the ooze originates from. And how's the reach on its tendrils? They're only five foot reach for the pseudopods, but I might make those bigger if people are, if people are far away because they'll just stand back and shoot at death. And that's lame. Can it move? What's its speed? So it can move, but not a lot. Interesting. So that's, it's kind of an interesting, you know, because I don't think anybody, we'll have to look at our other Albert Rodeo to, to see. Let's see if I can pull that up. I'm going to look at the, we used Albert 1 to begin this battle. And I'm going to take a look and see where they, where they ended. Because I want to put them in the same, I want to put them in, this, in the same spot. Oh, look, I had Orcus. We can delete Orcus. Boom. So that's not far off from where I had them. I mean, let me, I'm going to move everybody to where they were in the spot, even though we're switching over to a new Albert. And we'll put Bart next to, they're actually in a surprisingly good spot considering how big this, this thing is. That's kind of interesting. So, yeah. So that's what it looked like in the old one. This is what it looks like in the new one. So I think it's all it's all set. All the doors have baffles so the ooze can flow through the doors. Yeah. The whole green area is the ooze. Right. It does feel like a battle that can go very easy or very hard. I think I'm going to have its pseudopods be able to reach the entire width of the room so it can pseudopod people even if they're not stuck in the ooze. I can try to pull them in. I think that will be... I think that that will be good. Just to make it a little... A little you know, a little tougher. So that's good. So that's very interesting. So that, it doesn't mean there's an environmental effect. It is the environmental effect. So that's, so that's good to know. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad we, I'm glad we looked that up. So scene wise, what do we have? We have facing the ooze or the, the jelly, the cube jelly hybrid, exploring the Eastern side of the, of level two oozes, dealing with Dineska, dealing with Dineska Maskalov, then traveling, probably traveling over to the time-twisted side, dealing with Kagoth, Kagoth Z, the Twister of Time. Somewhere in there, they're probably going to have to take a rest, uh, and we'll figure out, I'm going to kind of let them determine that. I'm going to kind of let them determine when they want to take a rest and how they want to do that and how they want to explore this. I'm not going to presuppose what direction they go on the map or anything like that. So I think, I think that works out. So secrets and clues, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to just take a look back at last week's notes and see what secrets and clues did not get exposed because I think a bunch of them didn't. A natural rift between the Holzinger Crypts and the Drylands. They learned that. Undead are drawn to the statue of the Holzinger ancestor drawn up in the mortal world. They learned that. Necrotic force of the Dryland is awakening skeletons and whites and drawing incorporeal creatures like Spectre, Shadow, and Wraiths. They did know that. The portal must be closed to stop this incursion, but the characters not have required power. They learned that. Something deeper in the dungeon tore open the rift and keeps it open. Uh, I think they kind of learned that. Drylands is Evermaw, the plane of the dark god Mott, and equally notorious Vardazane and Akma. They learned all about the Drylands. They learned about Evermaw. Kagoth Z is a powerful wizard, but completely obsessed with the calling knowledge of the elves who used to be here. The elves managed to hide their lore, not in a place, but in time. They did not. The resident alchemist who was experimenting. So these are all, these four secrets here are all to do with level two. All stolen right out of the book, I think. Chase away from her home. Yeah. So who is Dineska Maskalov is here. The furnace is drawing tremendous arcane power beyond one wizard's ability to control. The source of this power lies deeper in the citadel. The draw of the power to this furnace is keeping this power tethered and strained. It's like a knot in a tangle of ropes. More the furnace, the more the furnace is used, the, the worse the draw and twisting of the arcane energies, which are actually the ley lines, but they don't know that yet, that flow through this, the, these halls. 
Yeah, so that's that's cool. What else can we learn? There's more stuff about... Well, let's see. I guess we'll look through the rooms in... We're going to look through the rooms on the right-hand side, see if there's any more stuff from Danaska that, that really fits a good secret or clue. But I don't know. Oh, there's some dust. There's sort of some dust goblins that are down here, I think, that are hiding. And where did they come from? How did they get here? So there's another ooze. And then another gelatinous cube. That's in the storerooms in three. That's good to know. Secret door of this portion of the well-hidden leader of the Dust Goblins. First Blade, Kelokini. That's a crazy name. That's an NPC. We'll drop him in there. The Dust Goblins. And who are the Dust Goblins? Uh, if their presence was discovered, Maskelov and the Oozes would go after them. They'd be in mortal danger. How did they get here? Why are they here if not to bloody their weapons and fill their loot bags? So... It might be kind of cool that they sort of found an old ruin in the Wasted West that almost got drawn here. So they, we know that there's these ley lines. What We know that there's ley lines that travel through the Scarlet Citadel. It would, and Dust Goblins typically operate out of the Wasted West, I think. So what if they had found an old monument and in manipulating that monument, you know, kind of fell through the world, fell through this like old cavern, wandered through the cavern and then ended up here in Scarlet Citadel many miles away. I think that that would be kind of fun. The dust goblins came from the Wasted West. They found in the deserts an old monument. So they were running from one of the old ones who wandered, who wandered the desert. They found an old monument. What monument did they find, you ask? Let's take a look at the Sly Flourish Random Generator. Monument. Midgard. Flaming moon's touch carcass of Sarista, the go elven goddess of night and magic. Mm, that's not bad. Star-touched necrotic ship of Kespitan, the dragon lord of stone. I kind of like that. A star-touched necrotic ship of Kespitan, the dragon lord of stone. Crumbling, glowing skull of Kors, the crossroads lord of the sun. Stormy curse wall of Marina, the, re the red goddess of winter. Entombed, crumbling, carved rock of Marina, god, the goddess of winter. Cracked, holy skull of Mammon, the lord of greed. Bloody floating tree of Sif, the northern, the northern sword maiden. I think we're going to go with Kespitan, dragon lord of stone. I think that'd be the kind of thing you'd find like out in the desert. It's pretty cool. Star touch, necrotic ship of Kespitan, dragon lords of stone. So what happened? They went into this ship. Did they end up in the, you know... The ship fell through the world and splashed into a river. They followed the river, and that river is what took them to the lower levels of Scarlet Citadel. The river, and then they kind of made their way up. They don't, they don't really remember the path, but they've been kind of trying to escape by going upwards. So they've been going against the grain, right? They, they're going the opposite direction that everybody else is going. So let's see. They, they went through, that's the time tunnels. How, and how did they get up? Like, how would they have crawled their way up? Is, is an interesting question. So here's the Dwarven Barracks. There's the Oubliette is in 316. That's the other connection. So what's the path down from here? So there's a couple stairwells. 301 has a couple of different stairwells that lead, that lead to different places. I mean, it could be that like they don't really remember the exact path that they took. But that, I think the river is like on the lowest level. So this is level... What level is this? This looks like four. So that's three... But this one has 329. That looks like, you know, that looks like an area. That looks like an area that could come by, by water. Shrine of Karen, right? And this is, is this the one that has a 
stream flowing past this shrine is a small branch of the Black River that flows through level five. In a world where spatial relationships make sense, the shrine is about 120 feet above the level of the Black River, but the Black River isn't simply flowing water. It's a current of magic. Yeah, so I think they, they ended up here. They got to three, and they've been crawling their way up, sneaking through, and made it up to level two. So the dust goblins found themselves on a ghostly ship on an underground river that ended up in a old dwarven chamber filled with trollkin and some owlbears, right? Nasty owlbears. Made their way up here, sneaking around, and are looking to escape back to the surface. They think they're still... The, the Dusk Goblins still think they're underneath the Wasted Wests, but they're actually very far away, having been drawn by the river under the citadel. I think that's pretty cool. I think that gives us some 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 room to some room to see, you know, we get uh, some opportunity to learn a little bit about the wasted west and we can actually do that right now. What we have here is the Midgard World Book, the big campaign guide. If you only get one book from Cobalt Press about Midgard, this is the one to get. This is a 466-page source book about Midgard. And as much as they have been expanding it out with books like the, the Southlands, the upcoming Wasted, the Western Way, the, the Wasted West, I think they're calling the new one. The, the Wastes, I don't know, something. All of the other books that they've expanded on, they're all rooted in this. And you could just use this book and get so much out of it. It is packed with lore. It is really, really fantastic book. I really, the more I read it, the more I love it. And it has a whole section about the Wasted West. Right here on page 226. There, for example, is like one of the, the old ones. No region inspires more tales of terror across the face of Midgard than its ruined western reaches, once verdant land per permanently ravaged by great mage wars. Puckered ragged scar of de desiccated land tears across the edge of the green duchy of Valern and down to the coast of the giant haunted Carnassian Peninsula. Desolation as one moves forward. Lots of regions. The Dreadwalkers. All right, so we will... We're going to grab a little bit of this. Just grabbing chunks of history about the Wasted West that I'm going to throw into the into my notes here but i love the idea of the dreadwalkers who doesn't love dreadwalkers cool so i got some good secrets for the wasted west so i think am i good on secrets i seem to be pretty good on secrets for now fantastic locations don't really need them because we have we have the book so you, you don't really need a section we have first blade we have Daneska maskalov we have kagoth z we have she might show back up so i'm going to keep her in the notes is ushalux NPC-wise, I don't think there's any other NPCs that we've that we've got here. Monsters, again, they're in the book. Always worth having the Deadly Encounter benchmark in mind so we know if we're going overboard. In this case, they are third level, I think. I think they're third level. I think they're third level. And there are five of them. That's 15. 15 divided by four. Math is hard. About four. So the Deadly benchmark is about four. A cat decided to run across. What are you doing, kitty? You see the cattail go zipping by. Treasure. So there's treasure in the book. It's worth us taking a look at the characters and saying what kind of stuff might they be interested in. Bart is, what is he? He's a bard. They love instruments of the bard, boy -o. But a spellcasting focus. It looks like a crossbow might be fun. So potential magic crossbow. That could be a good time. People like that. I'm either a magical crossbow or a way to like modify a crossbow. That would be fun. Dorne Greycastle is a sword dancer, dex-based, so fights with short swords and a longbow. 
Wow, look at that lore. So short swords or a longbow would be good. Armor, of course. Who doesn't want armor? Garble. Probably, let's see, what kind of weapon does he use? So he he has a short bow, short sword, and dagger. So any, yeah. Some what's an like armor for a mushroom folk would be kind of interesting. Maybe a helm. I should probably get a wish list from them. That's Garble. Mez, Room Sleth, is a strength-based fighter. I don't know why Mez isn't using the spear. Probably a longsword or other armor, of course. Using a short sword right now, but strength-based. That's kind of interesting. And Malarkey is a tiefling warlock and cleric. So a spellcasting focused would be good. They could probably use some kind of healing stuff. Armor, of course. Yeah, so that's a good mix. So let's let's just go over to the generator here. I actually have a uh, I have a different generator. Yeah, we'll we'll go with this one. So we'll go with treasure, and you don't have to worry about the rest. It's a lot of gold and stuff like that. We went to tier two and doing tier one because they're they're tier one. We don't get it very much. This is kind of fun. That potion of diminutation is fun. This is not a bad hoard. This could be stuff that they could find in the uh, lair of Dineska. She could have this stuff. And I think she I think there's already stuff in the book too. The book the book's got the book's got treasure too. So I'm just getting you know, in case I feel like it's time to drop some treasure on it and I don't have it, that could work. We can do some uncommon magic items too and see what we get. And we can do deep magic spells just for fun. Staff of the Adder, Circuit of Blasting, Bag of Tricks, Grey Bag of Tricks, those are always fun. Cursed Dwarven Javelin of Lightning of Sin. The Northern Handmaiden that casts Biting Arrow. What is Biting Arrow? This is kind of fun. I mean, you don't need it on Javelin Lightning. It's a cantrip. Freezes them. That's very low. We don't really need to bother with that. But a Javelin Lightning is pretty cool. I like a, a Cursed Dwarven Javelin of Lightning of Sith. Why is it cursed? What kind of curse does it have? Hmm. What would make it, what would make it cursed? I don't want it to, I don't like the gotcha curses. I like something that like has a detriment to it. Eh, maybe we'll probably with that. Instead of curse, we're going to use something else. We'll use a different uh, unearthed, foggy, sapphire, shadowy, bladed. I like the bladed. Bladed sounds cool. A bladed dwarven javelin of lightning of Sith. That it looks pretty cool. What other? other? Temporal dark elven plus one suit of scale mail armor of Valund, crossroad master of fire and the anvil. That casts nightfall. What does nightfall do? You call upon the knight to arrive ahead of schedule. You, you call upon the knight to arrive ahead of With a sharp word, you create a 30-foot radius cylinder of night centered on a point on the ground within range. Cylinder extends vertically 100 feet. The area inside the cylinder is normal darkness and thus heavily obscured. Creatures inside the darkened cylinder can see illuminated areas outside the circle normally. That's kind of fun. That's kind of cool. I don't know much about dark elves in in Midgard. And actually, I think I might just for, for lore's sake, change that from Dark Elven to Shadow Fae. And I might change the, instead of Valund Master of the Crossroads of the Anvil, we might change it to one of the Shadow Fae deities. So for my other, one of the other groups I have here is, where is it? Tides. So we'll do Ebon Tides and see. Goddess of Deer and Hunters, Alaros, Icaros, Nalv, Nalgavar, the Master of the Violet River. That sounds fun. Let's do that one. That casts the spell Nightfall. That's cool. Those are a couple of cool items that people would be interested in. I dig that. So I think we're good. I think we're good on treasure. So I should probably review. So that's that's all good. I got some fun treasure in there. I've got some some neat things. We could do an artifact or two. Let's do like a 
you know, a couple of, so in this case, we're going to do an item. We're going to do it by a Midgard. Use deep magic spells. Glyft aberrant statue of Rava, the crossroad gear goddess that casts Triumph of Ice. What's Triumph of Ice like? Seventh level. Whoa, that's too too much. Should actually look and see what the spell does. You transform one of the four elements. Uh, you transform one of the four elements, air, earth, fire, or water, into ice or snow. The affected area of the sphere is radius 100 feet centered. You know, the specific effect depends on the element you choose. Air. So if you see fire, flames are other sources of extreme heat on the ground within the frame transformed to shards of ice. This is kind of weird. It changes the element. And it can trap people that are in water. That's kind of interesting. It doesn't look crazy powerful. I'm not seeing anything in here that's like, oh my God, it's going to totally break our game. I think it's kind of fun. Crazy powerful. Glyft aberrant statue of Rava, the crossroad gear goddess. That casts triumph of ice. I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the glyft aberrant statue. Whoops. Instead of Rava, the gear goddess, we might switch to a different goddess or a different god. Nethus, king of the sea is not bad for something like that. That's kind of cool. Opal prehistoric bracelet of Perrin, the crossroad goddess of war and thunder, the cast reaver spirit. Third level, you inspire allies to fight with the savagery of, of berserkers. You and any allies you can see within range have advantage on strength checks and strength saving throws, resistance to bludging, piercing, slashing. Wow, you give rage to everybody. Lasts up to a minute. When the spell ends, each affected creature must succeed in constitution saving throw game. 1d4 levels of exhaustion. That's kind of cool. That's kind of a nasty one. Opal prehistoric bracelet of Perrin, crossroad goddess of war and thunder. That fits. I like that. I'll drop that in there. I don't know if I'm going to give you these away. I'm just getting a couple of getting a couple of items. Frozen giant vial of Holda, elven goddess of hearth and seasons that casts quintessence. Uh, aberrant elven skull of Adric, mother of madness that casts unlock on that. Unlock on that. Adric, quick unlock on that. You bring misfortune to the target's attempts. The affected creature has disadvantage on the roll. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Aberrant elven skull of Adric, the mother of madness. That's cool. Yeah, that's a good one. Whoops. Uh oh, that was a mistake. There. So I got three three relics, three objects that they only cast a spell once. Anybody can use it. And it's got a fun little bit of history tied to it. I think, I think that that, I think that works well. So I got some good treasure. I think these are definitely things that like the, the javelin of lightning would be cool. I think we got some good stuff here. Lots of secrets. Oh, so the one last thing I wanted to do was just make sure I understand because it's complicated. I really need to understand what's going on on the temporal side because a lot of strange things happen over there. So this is areas 209 to 218, it looks like. And so let's see. So 209, the time tributary. Chamber is Kagazi's study where he's created an isolated time tributary for his analysis. So here they see that there's this time thing. We know that Kagazi has a way to sort of navigate this without taking a lot of damage. He's got a bunch of like diagrams and stuff like that, but there's actually something that like if they step into it, Time stream is tremendously dangerous to unprotected creatures. Certainly the most dangerous feature in the upper three levels of Scarlet Citadel. Kagasi is entirely immune to its risks thanks to his ring of being anchored in time. A creature who steps into the time stream or even touches it must make a DC 15 con saving throw. On a success, creature immediately drops to zero and begins dying. On a failure, consult the time stream effect. That's on a success. On a failure, terrible things happen. You can become younger and like lose your, yeah, lots of interesting things. Super exhausted. Instead of coming to the Scarlet Citadel with other characters, the creature followed a different path. The creature suddenly finds itself in Area 116 fighting undead. Results are 13 or 14. Or in Area 3 or 4 fighting or hiding from Trollkin. That's so weird. Do you, you, you split that character off? I don't know. Like, that one is really hard. That 11 to 14. 
you know, the, the tough part is you then have to split that character off and kind of say what's happening to them. And like, how would you ever bring them back? And how do you get the player to reconnect with the other players in the group? If you, if you take their character and move them, you know, if you move them there, I don't know. That's a tricky one. I think I would probably have them, sh- you know, stumble into this room having come with another group. I mean, it's a major change to their character, but essentially the whole background of their character changes because it's it, they they sort of like got pulled from a different time frame timeline where different things had happened. I don't know. That's a that's a tricky one. So that that I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But that idea of like the creature suddenly finds itself in area of one sixteen fighting undead, or three hundred four fighting or hiding from trollkin. I think they might have done that, but then they, they like escaped from it as their friends were all destroyed, right? And they kind of stumbled in this room because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to force split the party and then like, what, you're running two different games for that person until they can reconnect and that could be forever. So, yeah, but I think the idea that like they've had an entirely different background that brought them here, I think that that could be pretty cool. Stairwell's Conjuration Circle has a barbed devil named Labas- Labascalag, Lasgalag, Lasbascalag. Who's been trapped in the circle doing what Kagoth Z wants. You have these uh, clockwork servants. Dryland's pathway in this pit of bone. This pit of bones is the bottom of the ossuary. Also the entry and exit point of the drylands. Undead use this, this access way to travel between that realm and Midgard. What appears to be a crumbling hole in the wall between 213 and the pit was sealed by Kagoth Z with an arcane wall of light spell of his own devising. So that wall of light is what's blocking out. This is enough to keep weak undead such as skeletons, shadows, and even the most specters and ghouls from wandering through. More powerful undead seldom come through, being drawn instead towards the crypts above. If you like, undead can step through the pathway while the characters are watching. Catching a glimpse of the party, the undead plunge through the wall of light and attack. Even fairly powerful undead such as Bone Naga, Vampire Spawn, or Revenant won't be overpowering threat to the characters because they'll be weakened significantly by, the coming, by coming through the light. How much do they take? They take 22 damage, 22 radiant damage coming through. Interesting. Arcane Scriptorium. This is what it, where it used to be. They have filled a library with all kinds of ancient lore and all kinds of stuff here. And then the time construct. Littered with debris, this is where clockwork servants are jumping forward in time. So, so elves actually move their library forward in time. I think this is really neat where any of the characters that get sort of caught up in this and get, get thrown through time, they get to see all of these different worlds that exist at different points of time. Things happen to him. But look at this. Like, this is one where you're like, man, boy, the, the writing. 216 starts on page 262, on page 62, goes all the way page through 63, all the way through 64, all the way through 65, and, and into 66. It's one page, one room has so much going on. I could write a whole adventure in that amount of space. There's a lot going on in this room. So we're going to have to play it by ear. When they get to this section, and I don't know if they'll get to it today anyway, so we'll, we'll have to figure this out. But there's a lot of like, essentially they have ways that they can be jumping around from, from place to place and time to time. And there's this whole chart of where they might jump in and what they might face when they come there and that they have to get back to the, the object to, to do it. The question is, so what... What's their goal? So their goal is stop Kagath Z, but probably also stop this thing. Because like this, this object that he's created, the time construct, needs to be disabled to stop it from pulling on the ley lines and causing the chaos. It's, it's, 
you know, there's basically three objects in Scarlet Citadel that are causing all these problems. And one is that forge in the other room. One is the time construct. And then one is the thing way down in the depths of Scarlet Citadel itself. The, you know, Gellert's, Gellert's experiment is what's causing the other big problem. So the question is, how do they disable this thing? I think it'd be fun for them to jump around in time a little bit. So let's see. Amethyst brush significant on deeper levels of Citadel. Oh, yeah. So the big question is, what do they have to use to disable it? I suppose that like just attacking it's not going to do it, but maybe Gellert's, or not Gellert's, maybe Kagoth Z's ring, because he's wearing a ring that prevents him from getting it. Maybe if the ring is sort of thrown into the, you know, the reason he doesn't go is he can't go with that. But if he throws the ring in it, boom, it could disappear and it could, it could zip away and never come back. This is some funny Numenera level stuff in here. 75,000 years in the future. It's pretty funny. In case of protective bubble and shield against any harm, nothing that can happen in this spot can, in the past can harm the scriptorium. So this thing is jumping from world to world. And every time it jumps back and jumps back out again, that's twisting the time further. How do they make sure it doesn't ever return to this time? What can they do to make sure that this thing doesn't, what, what activity can they use that ensures it never jumps back to this place again? This whole part, far more dangerous than any of the creatures they might meet and potential for the characters to wander away and not return to the time construct when it's ready to depart. The time construct never follows the same route through time twice. In other words, it won't come back for them. So if the characters are left behind in the past or the far future, they're unlikely to ever get back to their own time. The clockwork servants explain this urgently if the characters don't grasp it. Characters left behind are simply out. So I think that like they could reconfigure it. This is a secret here. One who possesses Kagoth's ring and the instructions for recalibrating the time, whatever this thing is called, what's it called? The time construct can set it randomly. So it will almost never return back here again. It will pull the time, the, the ley lines, but not here, here or now. So they can sort of like recalibrate. So they have, they have Kagoth's ring, which is sort of like a key. They have instructions with Kagoth has written down or has it. And the constructs know this stuff. And they can use the instructions and use the ring to recalibrate the construct because it doesn't follow the same path, but it always returns here. But they can change it. So now that one is no longer a part of the regular path either. And, and it disappears and, and it will never return. It likely it will never return in a lifetime. And who knows where it ends up. This is some like right out of dark kind of stuff. The show good, the show dark. That's some tricky, tricky bits to run, right? That's, I think the time hopping could be really fun. I definitely want to use that, but I, I'm, it can be tricky to run that bit. We'll see if we have to even do that today anyway. They got a lot going on today. But with that, I think I'm, I think I'm set well enough. I have, I know where my game is starting. I know what scenes they're likely to go through. I've got a bunch of secrets and clues for them to discover. I've got my maps. I've got NPCs for them to interact with. I've got a bunch of treasure they could find. So I think I am all set. So I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me today while I prepared for my game. If you enjoyed this show and you want more D&D tips and a free adventure generator PDF, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter for free. Link is in the show 
show notes below. You can also support me directly on Patreon, get access to all kinds of exclusive adventures, the City of Arches source book, all kinds of new tips and tricks to run your D&D game, video previews, Discord access, all kinds of stuff. The, the monthly Q&A, get all kinds of stuff for joining the Patreon. Patreon is very reasonably priced. Great way to support the show. You can find that in the show notes below. Also, if you like, you can pick up any of my books, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, which has all of the steps of, that I've just followed through here today. You can pick up the Lazy DM's Companion, which has all kinds of random tables. A lot of the random tables that you saw me using, you can actually get in the Lazy DM's Companion. Or you can pick up the Lazy DM's Workbook, which has all the kinds of material to help you improvise things during your game. Check that out in the Sly Flourish bookstore. Links for all of those things are in the show notes. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play some D&D.